Are we working? Looks like we're working. Don't touch anything. We're good. We're good. I kind of can't believe it, Rich. I kind of can't believe it. I thought this was doomed to fail again. We had a lot more technical difficulty. I don't know what's going on. There's under under this uh, beautiful Six and Flow sweatshirt, there is a couple of beads of sweat going, please, please, please connect. That's good. <laughs> We're good. We're good. <laughs> John, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks good for having me. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this week's Six Sessions. This episode has been a few weeks in the making because the tech failed us miserably last time around. But today is going to be about seismic change. It's about moving messaging, but also about moving market mentality and going against positioning you've spent years building and nurturing. This afternoon, we're going to talk SaaS growth, pivoting your position, and how you go from being a physicist to improv comedian to being one of the top marketing heads in tech. This six sessions, uh, sorry, totally balls that bit up. But anyway, the six sessions have given me the opportunity to chat to with some amazing people in the growth space. And today I have the pleasure of learning from someone who's been at the center of growth for one of the best things to come out of Massachusetts, other than Harvard, MIT, Red Sox, Pats, the Bruins, and Mark Wahlberg. I've thrown that on because I know as a Bostonian that's going to cringe deep inside. <laughs> he ran the funnel marketing team for the company that built the market leading funnel supporting software and was charged with helping, helping to shift the messaging from funnel to flywheel. If you're interested in huge message driven SaaS growth, that's difficult to say, how to move your stance in the market, or you're just looking to be entertained for 30 minutes on a Friday afternoon, you're very welcome. These chats are designed to be short and sweet, but hopefully full of insight. And it's definitely unfiltered, which is the fun bit. And speaking of filtering, this session very nearly didn't happen at all, regardless of tech issues, as LinkedIn censored our guest's name, causing even more tech issues. Joining us from Boston, it's my pleasure to introduce you to HubSpot's very own flywheel master, John Dick. John, welcome. Rich, thank you so much for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, even though the robots really tried to stop us from getting <laughs> together several times. Uh, it's great to see everybody. Thanks so much for having me. I've, I've been super excited about this one because uh, you're you're somebody in the SaaS space that we've we've engaged with it like over social and had some like minor conversations here and there. But somebody from afar that I've always kind of watched what you're doing, how you're working and kind of your influence in the market. So I'm excited to get this one going. So. To tech companies filtering you in 2022, that must drive you absolutely nuts. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So as Rich said, uh, LinkedIn, because of my last name, uh, which has been a real challenge my entire life, I would like everybody here to know, it's it, uh, it wasn't easy in, in elementary school or middle school or high school. It wasn't easy at university. It wasn't easy early in my career. And now AIs are actively trying to stop me from using my my God-given name. Uh, yeah, it's true. It, it does drive me a little nuts sometimes, but it is what it is. And at least it's memorable. And it's not lost on me, Rich, that uh, you might also have experienced some of the name pain in your life. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if you knew this, but I did uh, uh, dabble with doing a PhD um, a few years ago. And part of the primary driver in that, that I'm not, I'm not terribly proud of, but it still makes me laugh, is that I would have graduated and mean Dr. Dick Wood. Which yeah, I that, think would have been tremendous. It's a non-starter. How was how was twenty twenty one for you? Twenty twenty one. Hmm. Did that happen? I don't really remember that. <laughs> you did you have a twenty twenty one? I didn't really have a twenty twenty one. I had hair at the start of the pandemic. <laughs> uh, yeah, twenty twenty one was uh, was was a great year. Uh, it was a hard year. I think like everybody it was a really hard year. 
Um, uh, but there were some very uh, wonderful things that for me happened personally. Uh, number one, just I work in my attic now, as everybody on the call can see. Uh, it's a wonderful attic. It's quite cozy up here. Um, but that means I obviously have more time for my daughter, Caroline. I get to see her a lot more, which is pretty nice. Uh, I got my five-year sabbatical in 2021, Rich. So nice. that's a hot perk. Yeah. If you hit five years, you get a, a month off and a $5,000 bonus. Um, nice. and what, did, what did you do with it? Because obviously traveling was kiboshed. Yeah. So I took it in July, um, which was the dip of when we all thought maybe the world was getting back to normal. So it was a little, a little looser than uh, the rest of the year. But it's funny, you know, when I started at HubSpot and learned about this perk of a five-year sabbatical, I had this vision that I would, you know, uh, you know, charter a sailboat in the Caribbean for a month. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to live on a boat. I've always wanted to sail. And um, now I have a daughter and COVID. And so I, I did charter a sailboat, but I chartered it for three hours uh, in the San Diego Bay. Um, so a little different than what I thought, but still, still pretty awesome. Nice. So you didn't decide to to read some sort of book and retrain and some fundamental seismic shift across your being. You know, it's been uh, it's been a, it was a hard five years. You know, and particularly <laughs> the last year of it was pretty hard. I kind of needed a I needed a bit of a mental break. Uh, I read a whole bunch of books, but most of them were like sci fi. Like uh, I read Snow Snow Crash. I read uh, that new one by the 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 person who wrote The Martian. Um, what was it? Oh, Project Hail Mary. That was that was pretty awesome. So I read a lot of books like that and uh, mm -hmm. just tried to to get some sleep and, and rest up and uh, get ready for another amazing five years at HubSpot. So for anyone living under a rock, given that a lot of the people listening to this will be marketing based, what's your main business? What does HubSpot do? Yes, uh, HubSpot is the number one CRM platform for scaling companies. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, HubSpot started uh, 16, almost 17 years ago now uh, in the marketing space. Um, and the whole insight behind HubSpot was that the internet would just transform how customers buy from companies. It's kind of the founding insight. Uh, and it's still the North Star, actually, of the company, which is really interesting because the internet continues to change how people shop and buy things. Uh, and companies need to adapt to that uh, free, you know, continuously. Uh, and that's what HubSpot's all about. And that's what our platform is kind of built for. And that early DNA in marketing has kind of propelled us to having a pretty unique CRM platform, right? Like our, our platform was built fundamentally to drive engagement with customers. Yep. Um, and now that we've expanded to help salespeople and to help customer success people and to help operations people, that DNA of really helping companies engage successfully with customers kind of flows throughout the entire uh, design of the whole platform. Um, and, it, and it's working pretty well for us. What's your role at HubSpot? Oh, yeah, my role, uh, it's my title is the SVP of flywheel marketing. Uh, and so my team kind of supports the whole flywheel at HubSpot. We do product marketing, marketing automation, customer and partner marketing, international marketing, uh, Honestly, as a marketer, it's kind of like a, it's a dream job. It's like the, you know, the HubSpot marketing team is a marketer's marketing team. Like if you love marketing, you should come work at HubSpot's marketing team because you're going to work with a bunch of people who love marketing. Um, and to be a leader on that team is a real, honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a gift uh, and it's an honor. Great. Gracie's on your team, isn't he? Oh, Justin, Justin Gracie. Oh yeah. He's out I there. Love, love Justin. Justin, yeah. Justin was actually the first six session. Oh, amazing. amazing. He was my guinea pig. 
Um, so this is fortuitous timing, actually. So the, the tech gremlins have actually kind of lined this up nicely for me. So I'm speaking with the HubSpot guy just as G2 names HubSpot the number one CRM. So I think yesterday that 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 kind of pinged across. Yeah. Some very big incumbent, some might say archaic players in the CRM space that must be an awesome feeling to be independently ranked and objectively speaking, in percentage terms, how much of that damage was down to you? What was my impact on that? Well, it, Rich, my question for you is, is it possible for an individual to negatively impact a rating? Because that was probably my impact. Absolutely, right? Absolutely yeah. it is. <laughs> so the team was probably, they probably had us at number one six to, six to 12 months ago, and I probably dragged us back a little. Um, no, it was, I mean, incredible. It's a phenomenal honor. achievement, though. If you, like, oh, if you look at the players in the market, it's incredible. Yeah, it was a huge, huge honor. We've been working at it for a long time. Listen, uh, like I got to give it up to our product team. The product team at HubSpot um, for a long time, and when I say product, I also mean our engineering team. You know, the people who build the product, they're just so good and they're so passionate about user experience. Like, you know, they like build it to work. <laughs> and instead of kind of cobbling together this mess of software that investors will you know, give outsized value to because a bunch of revenue streams were stuck together. Like they crafted a pretty kick-ass CRM experience. It's easy to adopt. It's easy to, to align with other teams on. It's easy to adapt as your, you know, your company's changing. Um, product teams just done a phenomenal job building it. And um, what I love about, you know, awards from G2 in particular is that, you know, G2 is a, is a customer review site ultimately and so getting an award from g2 being ranked you know by g2 in the number one spot means our customers uh are ranking us so highly and so that means a lot to see an award like that from a, a company that really taps into our customers specifically i can imagine the number two that must have uh blindsided them somewhat the 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 plucky upstart taking up number one spot <laughs> you know uh we're just we're just focused on building a great product and and trying to deliver great value to the market um but yeah i could imagine maybe uh some some upset marketers and executives today you used to run the the funnel marketing team but your boss brian halligan decided to kill it off how was that for your feeling of job security at the time yeah so you know, my title now is, um, is, is, is head of flywheel marketing. I, I very, I was very savvy, I think, in picking that, that <laughs> new, new title, given how much HubSpot was going to invest in the flywheel rich. Um, but yeah, so I used to be the VP of funnel marketing. That was my job at HubSpot. And I ran the funnel and I, I used to walk around the office in, in Cambridge, Mass. And I used to just draw funnels on whiteboards. And that's just what I would do for a living. And I'd do fast conversion rate math. It was, it was cool. But um, one day I, I did get an email from Brian Halligan, our, our co-founder and exec chairman. Um, and he said, you know, I think, I think the funnel's dead. And I said, uh-oh, this is bad for, bad for me. Uh, so I dusted off my resume, of course, and, and started looking. But then, then, then kind of realized that um, it was just changing and evolving. And, and as Brian started to talk about this concept of the flywheel, it was kind of a no-brainer, actually. You know, um, were a couple of big insights in this funnel to flywheel transition. You know, one of them was just philosophical, right? Like most companies treat their customers like an output, like just full stop. Like that's what most companies do. And every other marketing job I had, as I reflected on it, I was like, yeah, like 
99 out of $100 that I spent went into customer acquisition, getting new customers in. And like, yeah, maybe I threw a, a dollar over to customer retention or like whatever. But like, man, like that's just fundamentally wrong. It's just like the wrong way to run a business. So philosophically, you know, when Brian started talking about this concept of, of you know, not having customers as outputs, but instead having customers at the center of um, your growth, it really just philosophically aligned. And the second thing was just based on how I was witnessing like the nature of each department change, right? Like um, the truth is I, I can't do almost anything at HubSpot without working really closely with my partners in sales and customer success. Like it's not like a world where like marketing just does stuff and then sales just does stuff and then customer success just does stuff. Like we all work together on plays and like, that's how you get outsized growth. And so, you know, that was another thing that really resonated with me, you know, with me about this flywheel concept was every department kind of works around the whole flywheel to support the customer. And I, I just really like that. So when, when Brian said your, your current job is defunct, I want you to do another job at what, well, like we're, we're moving fundamentally moving how we go to market and the messaging we've got, what was like the killer point that sold it to you? And you're like, absolutely. Yes, I get this. This is the direction we should move. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of what I just said, Rich. It was about, it was about the philosophy behind it. It was about what I was actually seeing in the world. And it was just about the manifestation of actually being a customer first company. Um, you know, the, the like killer moment for anybody who wants to do this for your category that you can go do is like, I did a Google search for best CRM. The top organic rankings are not HubSpot and all the other companies that make CRMs, uh, the top organic rankings are all review sites, right? They're all sites where customers are weighing in on what platforms they like the most. And so like, if nothing else, that alone should convince you that this model needs to change and that like delighting customers and investing a lot in customers is just absolutely critical to your growth. If the number one acquisition channel in the world prioritizes feedback from them above your own content, uh, you're, you know, I think that's a, a real aha. So for, for those who aren't familiar with the concept, because I think everybody listening will understand a funnel, right? And I'm not asking you to go too deep in, into flywheel, but what is the flywheel and why should people care about it? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, look, the flywheel is a way of thinking. It's a way of kind of organizing your company. Um, and it's a way of just measuring and thinking about your success. Um, and so, you know, traditional funnels just kind of say, hey, you want to put a lot of leads in the top and a bunch of them will kind of spit out the bottom as customers. Um, and that's just kind of a flawed model, right? I mean, I think for all the reasons I just said, like customers actually need to be a major input into your sales process. Uh, and just investing more in customer and customer retention is just a core way that every company grows. Um, you know, similarly in this way of organizing as a company, you know, HubSpot has gone so far as to say, like, we need a chief customer officer who runs the flywheel. Um, and that person has marketing sales, customer success and revenue operations all report to them. And that's just not how most companies organize. Like most companies, like the reason sales and marketing fight with each other all the time is not just because marketing loves to throw garbage leads at sales and sales stinks at closing our amazing leads. It's because they don't even work for the same person, right? Like they just roll up through different orgs with different goals and different structures and all this stuff. And um, just getting everybody on the same page, working together on a customer strategy 
oriented around the idea of of the flywheel and building momentum with customers. It's just been transformative to, to HubSpot. Um, you know, so transformative that our first chief customer officer, Yamini, uh, is now the CEO of HubSpot, and she's hiring a new chief customer officer. It's just absolutely amazing. You gonna throw your hat in hat in the ring for CCO? <laughs> I, I I'm I'm just focused on the flywheel marketing. <laughs> you know, just keeping that flywheel marketing humming. So with with the flywheel, so so centered around the customer, we've got sales, marketing, CS, all kind of driving that growth, trying to spin it faster, creating more customers, more revenue, effectively off the back of it. Surely you still need something to start that momentum. So you're not saying the funnel is completely dead, but it because you still need that to drive the funnel motion, right? I mean, yeah, look, you still need to attract. The very first phase of the flywheel is attract. Uh, and flywheels still have conversion rates. Like not everyone you attract in a flywheel ends up becoming a customer. And not all customers go on to, you know, give you a high net promoter score and write a review about you and uh, upgrade or, you know, become a repeat customer, any of those things. So I think like the basic... Um, the math and the concepts that people really liked about the funnel, which was, okay, well, cool. Like I actually need to sit down and do some math to figure out how many leads I need to get in order to hit my revenue goals for the year. That stuff all still exists within, within the flywheel model. But I, I will say, Rich, like one of the seismic changes that's actually happening right now is like the acquisition channels that we all relied on for a really long time are changing, right? Like Google and Facebook are super oversaturated. Uh, And this is not to say that every company should not continue to have an amazing Facebook strategy and an amazing search strategy because they are still the two biggest marketing channels in the world. But, you know, I think increasingly we're going to see new channels emerge that become powerful players. Um, The ones that I see like really taking off right now are community based. Right. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, community participation is absolutely exploding. There's new mechanisms to provide incentives to people uh, to participate and and take actions in communities. I think this whole space of customer advocacy is going to take up, is going to really explode and is going to really just bring this flywheel concept to life at a scale we we kind of haven't seen before. So you, you own messaging around the funnel, um, but also led the funnel team at HubSpot. How do you approach such a seismic shift without a scaring the shit out of your team, but also the market? Because HubSpot is a, like a, you're a publicly listed company. How do you approach something like that? Because it's, it's, a, it's a big job. Like that's, yeah. the, the funnel was how HubSpot went to market. Fidget spinners, nice. Rich. Flywheel nice. fidget spinners. That was the main thing that we did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got these, we got these flywheel fidget spinners and everyone, everyone got on board with it. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, um, it, listen, like all big changes, you have to educate, you have to guide, uh, you have to show how the transformation is occurring. You need to, uh, repeat, 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 repeat. Um, you know, here we are having a conversation about this funnel to flywheel transition. It's been, you know, three years since we started talking about this shift. And for a lot of people uh, who are listening, it's probably a pretty new concept still. And that's okay. Like there's the, you know, it takes a long time to uh, change markets and how we think about things. Um, But that's, that's been our big thing. You know, at HubSpot, we've always just invested a ton in education. We just fundamentally believe that the best way a company can help customers is to educate them uh, and give them a product that helps them hit their goals. Uh, And, you know, uh, so having that strong base of education was key to us actually starting to shift people's mindsets and uh, and change the market. 
Do you know what burnt it into my mind was, you know, the gif of Halligan unveiling the uh, the flywheel at the, uh, yeah, seeing yeah. It over and over again. Yeah, I just switched my laptop, Rich, and, uh, you know, you got to go clean out your old laptop every time you do it. And I have like five five or six GIFs on my computer that I, I was like, oh, I got to transfer those over to the over the new computer. And one of them was 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 Brian Halligan spinning the flywheel on stage at Inbound, a real special, special moment. So changes HubSpot make to their messaging. It's not just HubSpot that then adopts that messaging. You have a huge network of partners of which we're one. Um, and you also end up influencing your competitors messaging as well so if you look at like so inbound the funnel that obviously spread up far wider than hubspot does that come into the equation when you're thinking about what you're doing and how you're going to develop this oh yeah 100 percent. i mean first of all when it comes to customers and partners uh you know they're one of the main inputs that we take into developing all of our messaging and approach like you know our partner network, folks like you, Rich, and your team are on the front lines, just like our sales reps are talking to customers, learning, seeing what resonates, what doesn't resonate, what's changing in the world. Um, and we create a lot of forums for feedback there. And, you know, HubSpot also just invests a ton in hearing from customers. Um, we have lots and lots and lots of forums uh, where, you know, we get direct customer feedback on not just HubSpot as a company to work with or a product to use, but on the challenges that they're facing. And, you know, our goal is always that anything HubSpot talks about is bigger than HubSpot, right? Like it's it's about what's changing in the world. It's about what's changing for customers um, and uh, how customer expectations are changing. So it's a huge, you know, it's a huge play. And I think we often view the stuff that we're doing as successful if it starts to take off. Um, you know, we were earlier on on talking about RevOps like loudly and we have a platform to talk about things like that. And we've been talking a ton about RevOps and it's awesome to see like more and more RevOps agencies popping up and more and more roles coming up on LinkedIn about RevOps and things like that. And, you know, we're just, you know, we love to be part of, we often say at HubSpot, you know, we make careers, not software. Um, and I think we, we love the concept that we can help somebody understand a new way to do something and can have an amazingly successful, badass career uh, because they are able to tap into that. Um, and so that's real success for us. When you, when you shifted that messaging, where did you see the most friction? Well, you know, I think the very first, you know, when you do any, any change, the first things that happen is there's just people who are like, yeah, whatever. And you just get your immediate detractors, right? And lots of people, uh, we're just like, ah, that's stupid. That's just a marketing message. And um, that, that goes away over time because that's just a short term. People hate change. Um, you know, I'd say one of the things that was hard uh, was actually changing a lot of our sales conversations. Um, you know, the flywheel is a it's a philosophical concept. Yep. And it's a company concept. And a lot of the conversations that our reps and our partners and, and we have with people are about very tactical problems and departmental problems. And so that's probably one of the big challenges of it was like, well, okay, how do you take all these tactical problems, all these um, you know, departmental level problems and, and ladder them up to a, a customer view that spans departments that talks about philosophy and strategy and stuff like that. And it was probably one of the biggest pieces of friction. So forgetting, forgetting that you created the concept of, of flywheel and you were kind of the driving force behind that. And if you were to look at HubSpot as like a standalone entity that 
or like a marketing function that has adopted a flywheel process. What's been the impact for HubSpot from moving from a funnel to a flywheel? Uh, well, I'd say the biggest thing that it's enabled us to do, Rich, is roll out a strategy, like actually roll out changes to how we want to go to market. It used to just be really, really hard. Sales wanted to do some things. Marketing wanted to do some things. CS wanted to do some things. And like all of them needed marketing automation and all of them needed sales reps to say things and all of them needed customer success reps to find the right customers to work with and test and validate and and do all that stuff and make successful. And, um, you know, the biggest thing, having all of us aligned under the same leader working off the same strategy is that we just work together amazing now, you know, like um, there's very few things we do at HubSpot that don't have marketing automation involved in them. Like we don't need multiple marketing automation teams. We have a marketing automation team and they're really good at marketing automation, like, and they need business partners to work with to solve those problems. But you know, I think it's really allowed us to um, move faster and probably more successfully against, you know, large scale changes to how we're thinking about um, serving our customer base at, at scale. How did how did you get into growth? You started off in physics. How did that happen? Uh, uh, you know, this would be a good time to put on like the, the long and winding road, uh, you know, put some George Harrison on or something. Um <laughs> Well, so I, I loved physics. I thought physics was so cool. Um, but a couple of things kind of happened. Number one, you know, I spent my, my senior year of university, I actually spent it in England um, on a fellowship and I spent the whole time in a lab and that just wasn't, wasn't for me. I just realized like, oh no, this is what my whole life could be like. And that, that didn't sound right. The, the other thing is just, I don't know, like all the stuff I really thought was interesting in physics, like uh, gravity, uh, like I don't know. It was like kind of solved. Like it wasn't solved, but like I didn't want to be a computer programmer, just, you know, building conceptual models. Um, so I did love physics. And for me, like marketing and growth is kind of the best of both worlds, right? Like um, requires you to deeply interact with people and customers and, and collaborate, um, requires you to be somewhat creative and thinking. It requires you to, uh, you know, understand systems. It, under, you know, requires you to, um, you know, do, do some math every now and then. And, uh, and so for me, it was a really best, best of both worlds situation. And how did you get into the SaaS space? Oh, well, before this, Rich, I actually, I, um, I worked in men's fashion. Um, nice. so I, worked, I worked at a, yeah, as you can probably tell. I, I was about to say the same thing and I saw, I saw your choice of outfit for the partner kickoff. So that would it, be my first guess. It's true. A bedazzled, bedazzled HubSpot blazer was, uh, was a good look for me. Uh, I did. I worked in men's fashion before this at a company called Trunk Club, um, which was a company that gained a lot of momentum in, in the U.S. Um, and was uh, became part of Nordstrom, um, obviously big, you know, U.S. and, and Canadian retailer. Um, and I kind of thought I had like the dream job. It was like, you know, people like wore cool clothes to work and like we were doing something really disruptive. And I just thought it was I was shooting you know, television commercials and appealing to base instincts and all these things. And um, then I met Kip Bodner, who's the CMO of HubSpot. And uh, I had a phone call with him and it was the most invigorating phone call I'd had in years. Uh, I learned more about marketing and geeked out more about marketing on the call with him than I just had in a long time. And so just started talking to him more and, um, I, I just realized that if I came to HubSpot, I would have the opportunity to 
become a much better marketer. Um, I would probably have to spend a lot less time, you know, looking at individual campaign ROIs with the CFO every Monday morning and instead working on um, things that could really change the the way that marketers think about the world. And that was pretty, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And what, what role did you come into HubSpot at? VP of Funnel Marketing. So so you've always been in that funnel space? In, I've, I've always been funnel. in the funnel space. Until, until recently, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before this, um, you know, when I was at at uh, Trunk Club, I was an acquisition director and um, kind of been on kind of the more demand side. Although, you know, also at, at Trunk Club, um, did own a bunch of the brand stuff and and that was pretty fun, fun too. But uh, I think my strength is more in the the guts of the operation as opposed to the uh, the heart of the operation. So you're, you're an improv guy as well. How did you get into improv? You, and, and actually, do you feel like it has an effect on kind of your career or like public speaking or that kind of stuff? Because it's one of those things I often get uh, coaches and things like that say, do stand up. It'll make you a better public speaker. Has it played into your like wider career? I, I mean, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I got into improv. Well, I like to act um, and sing. I was, I was into musicals in, uh, in high school. Um, and, but I had a problem. I couldn't remember uh, song lyrics or, or dance moves particularly well. And, and I couldn't remember scripts particularly well. It's not really my, my strength. And I actually, when I got to university, I auditioned for an acapella group. I thought, I thought acapella groups were the pinnacle of cool at university. And I just thought if I could get into the doo-wop shop at UMass Amherst, that I was going to be the coolest dude around. And um, I got halfway through my audition song and I forgot the lyrics. I was like literally halfway through and just like blanked on them. And like, it was just like, kind of like petered out. And they kind of all like looked at me and were like, are you done? And I was just like, Yep, I'm done. And I walked out. So I didn't get into the doo-wop shop. And uh, so I auditioned for the improv group and they took me uh, in and that kind of got me deep into this improv space. Ended up yeah, moving to Chicago and doing a, a ton of it. Chicago is kind of the, the home of of improv comedy. Got me, um, you know, really deep in that scene. And yeah, it's it's been transformative to me personally. You know, I, a couple things about improv that that stand out. One is, you know, philosophically like improv is based around this idea of yes anding people so like the number one rule if you're gonna do an improv scene is don't say no to somebody right like if i walk into a scene and you and i have no idea what we're going to talk about and the very first thing i say to you is like oh like did you bring the dip for the super bowl if you say the super bowl isn't this weekend like we're screwed right like that scene is doomed uh and so you kind of learn to just say yeah i did bring the dip and uh you know, it's particularly spicy or whatever. I don't know. I don't do improv anymore. It's a <laughs> shit improv scene. I'm doing shit improv on this live LinkedIn with you. But anyway, you learn this this approach to um, supporting each other. And I think that's key as a business leader, as a marketer, um, all these things. And I think the other thing you kind of learn is you just learn how to not judge yourself, I think, which is a key skill as a marketer. Like if you're going to get on stage and you're just going to make something up, odds are it's not going to be that good. Like odds are people in the audience are going to snicker at you. And if you just believe in yourself and, uh, you know, don't judge yourself too much, then I think, um, you, your scenes are just way better, way funnier, all those things. Um, don't get in your head about it. And I think that's kind of key to being a marketer as well. 
only only time I've ever been to improv was actually in Cambridge, um, not far from the HubSpot office, and, sure. uh, in 2015. And it was um, I, I just remember watching them being like, "This is incredible!" Like having having the ability to think on your feet, maintain the narrative through, so like we could still understand what was going on. I, I thought it was hilarious. It was good. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It's fun. What What do you think is the most important growth play for companies at the moment? I, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about community. Um, you know, believe what, when you say that, what, like, when you say you're thinking about it, like, what are, what are you doing to enable that in the context of your, your role? Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple thoughts on community. Number one, um, you know, I think what we're seeing with community at the moment is, um, not only has this explosion of community interest happened kind of because of COVID, but also just kind of because of the internet and tooling and all these things like community used to kind of be thought of as like support like low cost support mechanism, right? And now companies are realizing like, oh my gosh, like people wanna connect with each other and learn and grow and build careers. And they ask each other questions before they make software purchases and like, you know, um, and so I just think that there, there's an explosion happening there. And then meanwhile, there's always been some real like blockers to successful community adoption at scale. One, one has been technology, um, another has been the right incentives right? It's kind of like, well, you know, you look at Facebook and all these community organizers who are incredible, incredible, generous people who put all their time into it. Like they're, they don't own any of that, right? It's all, it's all something that Facebook could shut down, can close off that they don't really get real benefit from. And one of the things that's emerging with this idea of, you know, web 3.0 or, you know, whatever people want to call it, there is this idea that, you know, you actually can participate in community and have some real investment into it that could become really valuable over time. And so, you know, I think as that space kind of takes off and I think as um, the technology gets better and I think as, as the customer behavior around communities um, comes together, I think we'd just see a real trifecta coming around that. Um, and for us, like we're just, we're just investing a lot in it. We're investing a lot in our advocacy community um, and being sure that people feel valued and, and rewarded. And, um, you know, we're investing a lot. Our, our black and inbound community, um, is a really thriving new got Devin. Devin's joining us in a couple of weeks in the succession. Oh, amazing. Devin's going to be great. Uh, Devin is a, a co-founder of, of black and inbound, super talented marketer works at HubSpot now. Um, you know, we're just realizing that, we can do a lot at HubSpot to empower communities um, and uh, help people be really successful in their careers. So who do you follow in the, so you mentioned a couple of names, uh, the, who do you follow in the growth space? So like how do you keep up to date with what's going on? Where do you get your inspiration for ideas and growth and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, well, uh, well, a couple names come to mind. Um, first, uh, Christina Garnett. Christina's wicked. She did a succession with us as well. Oh, great. That's great. Uh, she's great. She's kind of the, the heart and soul of marketing Twitter. Um, all, she, I, the, you know, her feed is, uh, it's, it's a constant uh, educational series for me of things I need to read. Um, David Spinks is uh, VP of community at Bevy. I really think he's posting really interesting and, and thought provoking ideas around community right now. Um, Alexis Ohanian, the, uh, co-founder of Reddit. I, at the moment am really enjoying what he's doing. Um, he started a, a, a new venture capital fund called seven, 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 six, um, and love it. Sam Harper, who stepped down from the board. He did step down from the board. Yeah, yeah I believe he yeah. did. 
Sampire from the Hustle. Um, I've recently been really loving uh, uh, Amanda Nat- Nat- Natividad. Uh, sorry, Amanda, if I pronounced your your last name wrong, but uh, she's posted a bunch of stuff recently that I've really loved. So those are a few people that kind of stand out to me. Nice. There's a couple in there I'm going to have to go and check out that I'm not I'm not following or kind of engaging with. So this is my favorite question from every six session. What's your biggest career fuck up today? The one that you learned the most from? Oh, well, the, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind, Rich, is, you know, at Trunk Club. So listen, Trunk Club, um, you know, it existed to help men who hated to shop look good. And as I mentioned, that appealed to kind of a a, a base level of masculinity. And that was kind of this, you know, core element of our brand and we the very first large-scale television spot we did um was called rites of passage um and i greenlit it and it featured in the beginning a young boy like it was like moments in a young boy's life that like make him a, a man uh in the definition that we had defined in the context of this brand which seven years later seems antiquated outdated and totally not in touch with the reality and especially being a girl dad now like all these things (laughs) that i'm now like oh god but in that that commercial uh the first rite of passage was like a young boy like finding a a a playboy magazine and like opening the playboy magazine and his eyes go out and um yeah you know at the time we were owned by the nordstrom uh company which is yeah, that didn't quite align with their value set that much, um, it turned out. And, um, you know, we had anti-pornography groups um, protesting us. And it was actually a real a real thing where, in retrospect, I mean, my lessons learned from it were, were a lot of lessons. But one of them was just like, you know, I think you don't want to have a surface level understanding of your customers. You want to have a deep understanding of your customers. And you don't want to you know, just put together marketing that you think is, uh, is clever and appeals to kind of that surface level stuff. Like you need to challenge yourself as a marketer to think much, much, much deeper, um, about what really motivates people. Um, or people will call you on it. And, uh, in particular, if you choose to play with fire at that surface level, uh, it's pretty shallow to, you, you, you don't have much to stand on. It's a pretty shallow ability to respond. How did, how did you deal with something like that as a brand at the time? Like what, what was the response? You know, uh, just proactive engagement. Um, you know, we did a lot of proactive engagement. We, you know, expressed, you know, we expressed some, you know, we, we apologized for the people that were put off by it. Um, you know, we didn't intend to, to do that. Um, so it was a mix of just kind of, emergency crisis comms, um, and some deep thinking. And it did, it did change how we thought about our marketing going forward, which painful to learn that lesson in public, but, um, but a good lesson, but a good lesson. Nice. I, that was it as a good answer. <laughs> what excites you most about marketing and growth right now without saying community? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> community. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think there's a couple things that I, personally have a lot of interest in at the moment, um, Rich. I am just really interested in in what this next phase of customer expectations actually looks like. Um, and like, if you just look at at the world around us and plat- in, in, in tech platforms, right? Like this is, expl- you know, explosion of low code, like normal people can do amazingly powerful things now. Um, 
and so I think, you know, when I, when I look at that and I look at, um, you know, the amazing progress that's been made in data and the ability to get access to data and do predictive things with data, like, I think there's this whole next wave of how we think about how normal human marketers or growth professionals can have uh, just a tremendous outsized impact on, you know, run really, really sophisticated, advanced um, customer experience plays um, within their within their flywheels. Nice. Um, top top line question. What what are your plans for 2022 and for HubSpot? Well, uh, we have a lot. So I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. Um, and, you know, number one, we are just laser focused on continuing to show the world that we're the number one CRM platform for scaling companies. Are you, uh, are you the number one CRM? We're the number one CRM platform oh. for scaling companies. I don't know if you heard that. Uh, no, I mean, just, but like, we got, a, we got a long way to go there, right? Like, you know, at this point we have um, five hubs, you know, those hubs have various phases of adoption in companies. Like what's amazing, Rich, is we see these results when you put multiple hubs together, right? So if you take our marketing hub and our CMS hub, our website product, and you put them together and compare them to somebody who's just using marketing hub, like those customers get 80% more organic traffic in 12 months. Like, and if you take our marketing hub and our sales hub and you put them together, I might botch the stat here, but I think it's like, they close like 80% more deals in, or close to hundred percent more deals in, uh, in 12 months. And so for us, like, we just want to help all of our customers like realize these benefits because the thing is, if they start realizing these benefits, they can invest in all sorts of other stuff and they can break out of this tyranny they're stuck in of like, God, I spent all my money on, you know, dealing with all these systems and having all these admins and, you know, piecing it all together and everything takes forever to do because I got to get multiple systems teams to work together to do all this stuff. And so we're just really focused on trying to help all of our customers realize those benefits. We're also super focused right now on our new payments product, which uh, although is only available in the US, there's a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah, I keep, I keep getting emails about it and I'm like, guys, I'm not allowed to play with this yet. Come I know, on. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a hard, it's a hard space. Um, and that doesn't justify, you know, I, I don't say that because, oh, it's hard. Well, I, I say it's hard um, because, but it makes us want to invest in it all the more, right? Um, if it's a really hard problem to solve for our customers, it's a problem we want to solve for them. Um, and so, you know, we just realized how fundamental to customer experience a commerce object is. Like, there's nothing closer to the customer than the actual transaction that they make and the ability to create great, great customer experience around that. So we're very focused on that um, as well. We're focused on people who are building on HubSpot uh, and helping them be more successful. We're focused on making it um, the even more powerful platform for companies that are scaling fast. A lot of our customers um, are just cranking right now um and we want the platform to keep up with them the the app marketplace the connect partners that's yeah. just exploding at the moment it's crazy yeah we I just saw, we, i think it was scott brinker shared a, a graphic or the numbers around it and it's just absolutely nuts yeah we just passed a thousand apps in the app marketplace um which when you look at the the whole ecosystem there's not a lot of companies that that get there um, so we're feeling very proud of that and in particular because there's just lots of companies who are building their businesses there. Uh, and a lot of customers are able to more seamlessly run their, you know, their businesses because they can integrate really successfully. Um, 
you know, it's, we, we've helped a, a number of companies kind of move into the HubSpot ecosystem with their apps. And it, it it's remarkable how much easier it is for them to launch in the marketplace into some of the comparisons. So one, uh, one company that we work with quite closely, PartnerStack, I think launched theirs today yeah. and yesterday as well. And yeah, it's a, so like there's a lot of interesting movement and apps available now, which is great. Yeah. We, we fundamentally believe that the notion of all in one is kind of outdated and all on one is actually, you know, the notion of all in one is just, it's just not grounded in reality, right? Because the truth is everybody needs, I don't know. I, I mean, the number just keeps going up. Like the number of software that a mid-sized company uses hundreds of pieces of software or something like that. And the truth is it's like hard for any one software company to build all that stuff. Um, but if we can build our platform in a way that makes it yep. better for those companies to integrate with it, uh, then our customers will just see a ton of success. Well, I, I think it, the the attraction of having the, the CRM platform is that you do have the ability to have like the tools that can service you, but it doesn't negate you using the best of breed in those niches that, or, sorry, niche from for the American viewers. The um, where you can have those best of breed tools in to really support on something that isn't ever going to be HubSpot's strength. Exactly. And that's where the power comes. Exactly. So, John, this has been a lot of fun and very informative. Um, there were parts in that where I actually forgot we were doing a live. Um, <laughs> and so it's just, just general conversation. Um, thank you for doing the six sessions for me. Uh, definitely worth the wait. If anybody wants to follow up with you, how should they connect? Uh, it's on the screen here at John Dick on Twitter. You can find me there. I uh, would love to follow a bunch of the, the folks who are uh, who are listening today. I would love to hear your thoughts. What resonated? What do you think I'm wrong about? I'm wrong about a lot of things. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so Rich, it was really, it was an honor to come on. I'm a huge Six and Flow fan. Um, I love what you're doing in, in the partner ecosystem. You help so many of our customers and your team is good. You, you're good. Uh, so it's awesome much. to have the opportunity to be with you on the show. Thank you. Pleasure. All right, John, thank you very much. And thanks for joining us, everybody.